Thank you very much. You can put that down if you want to. I'll lower the screen. Last week we started on a journey to discover how certain Bible characters found the grace of God. We're interested in how they responded to God, what they learned, and how the experience that they had changed their lives. We looked last week, if you remember, at Jacob. Even though Jacob was a strong-willed, deceptive young man who was kicked out of his house by his family, by his father, whose brother was plotting to kill him because of his deceptive ways, we've discovered that God had, when he left home and he was resting his head on a rock at night, God revealed to him some promises that said that he was going to be his God and, and that uh, he would have children and that he and his descendants would come back to this land and he would have this land. Twenty years later, Jacob came back and when he came back, he was afraid because he heard his brother Esau, his twin brother, was coming with 400 men and he knew that his brother was going to kill him. And he didn't know what to do. And he split his family into two uh, groups and sent them off their way and there he was all alone again, just like he had been 20 years earlier. This time he wrestled with God. Wrestled with Him. And it was after he had his hip thrown out of out of joint, that he realized that he was helpless. There wasn't anything that he as a human being could do. And he had to rely upon God. And God did something miraculous. He changed the attitude of Esau, the twin brother. And Esau came instead of killing his brother Jacob, he had open arms and said, welcome home. Jacob said, God has dealt graciously with me and I have enough. He no longer felt empty. You see, before that time when he was kicked out of his house, he felt like his family didn't love him anymore. He felt rejected, especially by his twin brother. He was very insecure. But now, after wrestling with God and discovering the grace of God, the grace of his God that had promised him that he would come back, that he would be back in peace, his family would be there, no harm to him. When he came to that realization and he realized that God was answering those prayers, even when he doubted, he says, God has dealt graciously with me, 
And I don't need anything else. I feel satisfied. God doesn't need our help to do His job. That's what we've got to learn with grace is that God is in total control and that we need His help to be able to get through. I want to look today at another Bible character that experienced the grace of God, but in a different way. Genesis 6, verses 1 through 8 says, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace. That's what we're trying to discover is how do these individuals find and discover the grace of God? Jacob had to wrestle. He had to, to actually get down and physically Get with God before he realized how weak he was. Some of us have to wrestle with God. But Noah, Noah was a little different. How did he discover this grace? To find out, we have to look at Noah's great-grandfather, Enoch. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This Bible passage tells us very clearly that Enoch walked with God. Now let's look at a description of his great grandson, Noah, in Genesis 6 and verse 8. It says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the next verse says, This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in, in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God just like his great-grandfather. Let me tell you that it doesn't take a rocket scientist to recognize the powerful influence 
family training and worship has on younger generations. You see, this being able to walk with God came down through the generations from great-grandfather to grandfather to father to son. These were men who discovered the grace of God and was willing to pass on to the next younger generation what they learned. They were not afraid to have worship in their homes. They were not afraid to be able to share what God has done for them. They were not afraid to train up a child in the way that they should go. This influence, this family training, this worship has an effect on the younger generations. And they will begin to recognize as they grow up in life the grace of God and learn to trust in God because their father trusted, their grandfather trusted, and their great-grandfather trusted. If you remember from last week, I told you that people discover the grace of God, the trustworthiness of God in different ways. How I discover the grace of God would be different from how you would discover the grace of God. We call this discovery experiential knowledge. It's the school of hard knocks that I often talk about. It's the things in life that I go through, the struggles that I might have, or the influence that I have from others, like Paula was sharing with the influence of her mother-in-law and, and the prayers and, and the deceptiveness, so to speak, although she was deceptive because she didn't tell Lonnie that we were having studies and we were going to have baptisms there. That's another story. But experiential knowledge, experience in, in life. Jacob had to wrestle with God before he realized that God is in total control of everything. At any point, he could pop your hip out of joint he can do all kinds of things, change your twin brother's attitude from a person who's out to murder to a loving, kind family member. And that's how God works. Some of us have to be educated in the school of hard knocks before we're ready to listen and to trust God. But for Noah, it was a little different. He learned to trust and to walk with God by the way he was taught, by seeing God's grace working in his family and being shared openly, starting with his great-grandfather. Let's look at the description from the, the book Gospel Workers, page 53. I want you to notice something. Enoch came more and more to reflect the divine image. His faith waxed stronger. His love became more ardent. To him, prayer was as the breath of the soul. He lived in the atmosphere of heaven. Now, you got to stop and think. He's living in the atmosphere of heaven. His home was just like being in heaven but the rest of the world was like hell. 
The rest of the world was out of control. Didn't believe in God. Sin was surrounding everything. So to have this home, this influence at home meant a lot. He began to reflect that divine image in his life. He began to notice that I don't want to be like the rest of the world. I want to be like God. Not that being that way is going to save me. It's only the grace of God that's going to save me. But I just love God so much I want to be like Him. And so because of this, his faith gets stronger and stronger. But what I really like, it says to him prayer was as the breath of the soul. You know what that meant? He didn't do anything. He didn't start anything until he went to God first and got advice from God. God, reveal to me if this is your way, if this is your will. Help me to trust in this situation. How many times do we wait before we really talk to God in prayer? Wait until we get into a serious situation. That's not the way with Enoch. Enoch went to God in prayer right away. Just as if God was living in his own home. He was. This influence then was then passed on to his son Methuselah. And Methuselah then passed that information and that way of life, which became his way of life, to his son. And then on down to Noah. I'm sure if Noah was here today, he would say, I thank God for my spirit-filled family who shared with me what life in heaven was like and how to trust in God. Because it was that trust that was going to help Noah walk with God and to find his grace. So it's passed down. This special, there's a special message that was passed down. Do you know this? That was passed down from great-grandfather Enoch to Noah. You, I'm sure he, Enoch, or Enoch said to his son, you know, we've got to share this because there is a special event that's going to take place that God has told me about. In the little beautiful book entitled Spiritual Gifts, the third volume, page 60, I want you to notice something about Enoch. Enoch instructed his family in regard to the what? Enoch knew the flood was going to come. He knew it before Noah knew it. And he passed down through these generations this message that God says there is going to become a flood. Why do you think that God does that? God never does anything without telling first his prophets to reveal to the world. Why? To prepare them. He, he doesn't want a world to be lost. He wants the world to be saved. He wants the world to trust in him. And so that message started way before Noah ever preached. And we know that Noah preached that message of the flood for how long? We read it there. It says that those people back in Noah's day had 120 years 
to hear that a flood is coming, that you've got to be ready, you've got to trust God, what he says is going to take place. It says that Methuselah, the son of Enoch, listened to the preaching of his grandson Noah, who faithfully warned the inhabitants of the world that a flood of waters was coming upon the earth. I bet that was a thrill for Grandpa to hear his grandson preach the message that came first to Enoch. And he helped him build it. Wow. To trust into God and to believe in Him to pass it down. Well, Noah learned about the grace of God by example from his family. He also learned by fulfilling divine messages that was passed down from generation to generation that it will come to pass. Which made it a lot easier then for him to trust in the grace and the will of God to preach for 120 years a message that the world did not want to hear. They ignored his message. They didn't believe in it, nor did they want to hear that message because they thought that everything was okay. Just for the fun of it, let's contrast between Noah and the people that lived around him just before the flood. Let's first look at the biblical description of these people. Genesis 6, verse 2. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. I want you to notice something. It's what? Who they chose. It was their desire, their will, their choice, whatever word you want to use to describe it, their stubbornness or whatever it was, it was their choice to choose these women knowing that God's command was not to marry non-believers. They didn't ask God for advice. Is this the woman that you have ready for me? And what it did was it brought up children. The brought up children, they weren't dummies. It said in the scripture we read, it says these became men of renown that people knew them. They, they were classified by the rest of the people. These are good men, outstanding citizens. But God says... These individuals are so full of sin, I regret that I ever created them. Mainly because they weren't going to God and seeking God's instructions. They're going to do it their way, contrary to what anyone has to say, including God. It's their stubbornness. It's what they chose not whom God chose. I can give you numerous testimonies from men and women who married outside of the church who ended up with major 
marital problems within their lives. Even though they had family members that counseled to them and says, you know, you're making the biggest mistake of your life, they didn't want to hear. They, they said, this is the woman or this is the man whom I have chosen and that's who I'm going to marry. Only to regret those words later on. Because it, it, it creates numerous problems. Just one. Where are you going to attend church? The other one, how are you going to raise your children? What are they going to believe? What if you have two really drastic different spiritual beliefs? I met one man one time. He was a Seventh-day Adventist. He married a Buddhist. Those poor kids were so confused they had no idea who to worship. They didn't. I've seen destroyed marriages, one right after the other. I've had people in my office crying, saying, if only I would have listened to the counsel that was given to me. That's why I asked the church board, when they were making up a, a, a wedding policy on what to do for weddings here, I, I asked them when I first got here, I said, make sure that you include in on the policy that I as a pastor will not marry a believer to a non-believer because I know the problems it's going to create. Even if you only followed the world, the statistics would be almost a 90% failure of marriage of a believer of one belief marrying a non-believer of another belief or no belief at all. I'm not here to put together marriages that would split apart later on. I'm here to preach the example that God has given to us. Some people think it's really cruel that I as a pastor would do that. And then others have come back to me and said, I thank God that you have had that policy. Genesis 6, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Let me share with you what the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary has to say about that phrase, every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. It means they were willingly... And that's the key word, willingly ignorant of God's Word. It's not that God's Word was not available. It's not because they didn't hear it. They were willingly blocking the ears off. I don't want to hear that. I know that's what the Scripture says. But I am going to do what I want to do and not what God says that you should do. Brothers and sisters, I still hear that from our young people today. I know what the Bible says. I was raised in a home. This is what was drilled into me. But I'm going to do what I want to do, willingly ignorant of God's Word. Yeah, leave me alone. 
It's interesting, 2 Peter 3, verse 5, when it's talking about the people living just before Jesus comes, it says they, these people, willfully forgot that by the word of God the heavens were, were, were of old. They willingly forgot. It's not that they forgot. I don't want to know it, is what they're saying. And that's what the people were like as they were there. I don't want to hear what God has to say. That's why they ridiculed, for 120 years they ridiculed Noah. I don't want to hear from you that there's a flood coming. I don't want to hear from you that there's a God that loves you. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, and that's it. Are you seeing a pattern that's being developed here? This is the Bible is describing people in Noah's day as well as our day today because Jesus says as it was in the day of Noah, so shall it be at the end of time. That it's happening here is I don't want to hear God. I'm not going to do it. In reality, they're slapping God in the face and saying, your way is not for me. I've decided to do my own thing in my own way and have fun. Your way, to me, is not fun. That's why the 120 years of preaching by Noah was scoffed at. They didn't want to hear what God says or what God is going to do. Even when they saw the animals mysteriously coming out from the countryside and walking into the ark and they heard Noah's last appeal to come into the ark. They even saw the door of the ark being shut by some unexplainable way, but it didn't matter. They wanted to do their own thing, which is evil continually, and it's sin in the presence of God. They would be destroyed because of their choice against the divine evidence that was there and the divine teachings. I don't care. I'll be destroyed. And I've heard that before too. I don't care about the second coming of Jesus. Let Him destroy me. At least I had fun beforehand. Let's look at Noah's description. We read that he found grace in the sight of the Lord. Genesis 6, 9 says, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. When, it, when it's talking about being a just man and perfect in his generations, the other people knew by his lifestyle that Noah was different than they. He was just. If you wanted somebody who was going to be honest, go to old man Noah. He'll tell you. They knew that he was a good man, but they didn't want to listen to him. In Genesis 6-9 where it says that he's just and perfect, the Bible commentary says, a just man meant that he was a man of strong conviction, straight in thinking and action. This is a blessing that comes from a willingness to follow God. 
he was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. And the rest of the community recognized that in Noah, that he was different, he was trustworthy, he had a strong conviction based on thus saith the Lord. Said that he was perfect. Now that does not mean that Noah was sinless. It means he chose to follow the will of God. He was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. He was, he was made a, he made a conscious choice based on faith that he had developed in his home life based on faith to follow God's instructions no matter how unpopular it might be with the rest of the world. He was not going to follow the world even though that's what everybody was. Even if he stuck out like a sore thumb, and he did, he was going to follow God. When the ark was finished and all the animals were safely inside, Noah and the rest of the world had to make the same decision. And the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now, this is the key. I can be raised in a good Christian home, but there is some point in time that I as an individual have to make a choice. For Noah and the rest of the world, because they all had the same choice. God is inviting them. Come into the ark and be saved. Stay out and you'll be destroyed. Noah had to make that decision. And he had to make it based on whether he trusted God or not. Remember, there had never, ever been a flood on the earth before. It was the most ridiculous thing in the world to build an ark out in the middle of nowheres where there's no body of water to float that ark on. It was absurd. But God says to Noah and he says to all the rest of them, if you want to be saved, get into the ark. And it was all based on what they all knew. Now remember, the rest of the people were willfully ignorant. They didn't want to hear God's word. Noah was willing to listen to his great-grandfather, his grandfather, and his father. He was willing to listen to that. But it still came to a point, it says, Who are you going to, what, what way are you going to choose? Are you going to come in? Are you going to stay out with the rest of the world? Because that ark will float around and save the animals if you don't want to come in. But God recognized his righteousness. Hmm, that's interesting. You see, our righteousness is based on our decision. Am I going to trust God and enter into the ark and be saved, is what Noah's thinking, or stay out of the ark and be destroyed? All mankind had to make that decision. The decision is not do I trust my own abilities, but do I trust God that He's going to fulfill what He says He's going to do. Even if the idea seems crazy. Remember, 
he had not ever seen a body of water to float an ark on in his life. Do I trust that God's going to fulfill what he said is going to happen? He told my great-grandfather he was going to. It's been passed down to me. And now I've seen things that are going in. What's going to happen? How do I base that decision? By the grace of God, God passed down his will from one generation to the next. By the grace of God, God gave instructions to Noah how to build the ark and why he should build it. And by the grace of God, Noah preached a message of judgment to the world for 120 years. By the grace of God, there was 120 years for people to hear of the coming judgment. He gave them time. He didn't spring it on them. It all happened because of the grace of God. By the grace of God, Noah and his family were given the gift of life because of their choice to believe in and to follow the will of God. By the grace of God, they saw the animals coming into the ark. By the grace of God, God closed the door on the ark. By the grace of God, they still had another seven days before the rain started flooding that people could still get in, but they chose not to get in. It was only Noah and his family that chose to go in to that ark and be saved because they trusted in the grace of God. And so do you. You can't save yourself. Do I trust God that what He says is true? And if I trust Him and I choose to trust Him, it's counted to me as righteousness. The animals came into the ark. God gave an opportunity for all to enter the ark. God spared their lives of those who decided to follow the will of God. At the point of making a decision based on faith, it is counted to us as righteousness. According to Hebrews 11.7, talking about Noah, by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen. Never seen any body of water or anything like that before. In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to what? My righteousness is according to faith and it's by the choice that I make. I've got the power to choose something else. I can say I'm going to go with the rest of the world. But when I choose to follow God because of His grace, it is counted to me and every time you read it in Hebrews chapter 11, you can read it about all the Bible characters that are in there. It was counted unto them as righteousness when they chose to follow God based on His promises, based on His grace, based on what they have learned in life itself. Parents, grandparents, don't ever give up on having family worship. Don't ever apologize for having it in your home. Even if your kids are not 
Christians and they come to visit, have worship in your home like you do, or I hope you do. Because this is the avenue that God could have being used by those grandkids and by those children to be able to begin to see the grace of God and the message that you have to give to them by the grace of God. And he's going to give you the strength to be able to do it. So don't choose to be like the rest of the world and say, well, I'm not going to do anything because I don't want to offend them. Offend them and have worship in your home. Don't be afraid to worship God. Don't be afraid of the gospel. Don't be afraid of even sharing with the neighbor or the stranger. It might be the one thing that will be used for them to change their lives. But it's their choice. Next week we're going to look at another example of how someone discovered the grace of God and to see how it affected them. But we're going to be coming up to a time period in the next couple of weeks where I'm going to have individuals who are here in this church share how they discovered the grace of God and how it changed their lives. You see... We can go back and look at all these biblical characters, but if it isn't doing something in our own time period, then there's something wrong. And we're going to listen to individuals that you sit down with here in this church, that you sit next to, that you smile at, that you shake their hands. You may not remember their names, but you're there with them, and the powerful God has been working in their lives, will be working in their lives, and they have a message to share with you. And that's what we're going to learn. But in the meantime, I want you to take your hymnal. I want you to turn to hymn number 526. It's because Jesus lives is the reason why I can face tomorrow. Because it is He who's in control of my life. Let's sing together hymn number 526. And twenty six. Let's stand together as we sing. sent his son they called him Jesus he came to love heal and forgive he lived and died to buy my pardon an empty grave is there to my Savior lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear
Soul, faith in you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. 